Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Section 5. From a Journal of the Plague Year by Daniel Defoe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. Section 5. I need not say that these orders extended only to such places as were within the Lord Mayor's jurisdiction, so it is requisite to observe that the justices of peace within those parishes and places as were called the hamlets and outparts took the same method. As I remember, the orders for shutting up of houses did not take place so soon on our side, because, as I said before, the plague did not reach to these eastern parts of the town, at least, nor begin to be very violent till the beginning of August. For example, the whole bill from the 11th to the 18th of July was 1,761, yet there died but 71 of the plague in all those parishes we call the Tower Hamlets, and they were as follows. Aldgate, 17. The next week, 34. And to the 1st of August, 65. Stepney, 33. The next week, 58. And to the 1st of August, 76. Whitechapel, 21. The next week, 48. And to August 1st, 79. St. Catherine, Tower, two, the next week, four, to the first of August, four. Trinity, Minories, one, the next week, one, and to the first of August, four, four, a total of seventy-one, the next week, one hundred and forty-five, and to the first of August, two hundred and twenty-eight. It was indeed coming on amain, for the burials that same week were in the next adjoining parishes thus. St. Leonard's, Shoreditch, 64, the next week prodigiously increased as 84, and to the 1st of August, 110. St. Botolph's, Bishopsgate, 65, the next week, 105, the first of August, one hundred and sixteen. St. Giles, Cripplegate, two hundred and thirteen. The next week, four hundred and twenty-one, and to the first of August, five hundred and fifty-four, for a total of three hundred and forty-two. The next week, six hundred and ten, and to the first of August, seven hundred and eighty. This shutting up of houses was at first counted a very cruel and unchristian method, and the poor people so confined made bitter lamentations. Complaints of the severity of it were also daily brought to my Lord Mayor, of houses 
causelessly, and some maliciously shut up. I cannot say, but upon inquiry many that complained so loudly were found in a condition to be continued, and others again, inspection made upon the sick person, and the sickness not impairing infectious, or if uncertain, yet on his being content to be carried to the pest-house, were released. It is true that the locking up the doors of people's houses, and setting a watchman there night and day, to prevent their stirring out, or, or any coming to them, when perhaps the sound people in the family might have escaped, if they had been removed from the sick, looked very hard and cruel, and many people perished in these miserable confinements, which, tis reasonable to believe, would not have been distempered if they had had liberty, though the plague was in the house, at which the people were very clamorous and uneasy at first, and several violences were committed, and injuries offered to the men who were set to watch the houses so shut up. Also, several people broke out by force in many places, as I shall observe by and by. But it was a public good that justified the private mischief, and there was no obtaining the least mitigation by any application to magistrates or government at that time, at least not that I heard of. This put the people upon all manner of stratagem, in order, if possible, to get out, and it would fill a little volume to set down the arts used by the people of such houses, to shut the eyes of the watchmen who were employed, to deceive them, and to escape or break out from them, in which frequent scuffles and some mischief happened, of which by itself. As I went along Houndsditch one morning about eight o'clock, there was a great noise. It is true, indeed, there was not much crowd, because people were not very free to gather together, or to stay long together when they were there, nor did I long stay there. But the outcry was loud enough to prompt my curiosity, and I called to one that looked out of a window, and asked what was the matter. A watchman, it seems, had been employed to keep his post at the door of a house which was infected, or said to be infected, and was shut up. He had been there all night for two nights together, as he told his story, and the day-watchman had been there one day, and was now come to relieve him. All this while no noise had been heard in the house, no light had been seen. They called for nothing, sent him of no errands, which used to be the chief business of the watchman. Neither had they given him any disturbance, as he said, from the Monday afternoon, when he heard great crying and screaming in the house, which, as he supposed, was occasioned by some of the family dying just at that time. It seems, the night before, the dead cart, as it was called, had been stopped there, and a servant-maid had been brought down to the door dead, and the buriers, or bearers, as they were called, put her into the cart, wrapped only in a green rug, and carried her away. The watchman had knocked at the door, it seems, when he heard that noise, and crying, as above, and nobody answered a great while. 
but at last one looked out and said with an angry quick tone and yet a kind of crying voice or a voice of one that was crying what do you want that ye make such a knocking he answered i am the watchman how do you do what is the matter the person answered what is that to you stop the dead cart this it seems was about one o'clock soon after as the fellow said he stopped the dead cart and then knocked again but nobody answered he continued knocking and the bellman called out several times bring out your dead but nobody answered till the man that drove the cart being called to other houses would stay no longer and drove away the watchman knew not what to make of all this so he let them alone till the morning man or day watchman as they called him came to relieve him giving him an account of the particulars they knocked at the door a great while but nobody answered and they observed that the window or casement at which the person had looked out who had answered before continued open being up two pair of stairs upon this the two men to satisfy their curiosity got a long ladder and one of them went up to the window and looked into the room where he saw a woman lying dead upon the floor in a dismal manner having no clothes on her but her shift but though he called aloud and putting in his long staff knocked hard on the floor yet nobody stirred or answered neither could he hear any noise in the house he came down again upon this and acquainted his fellow who went up also and finding it just so they resolved to acquaint the lord mayor or some other magistrate of it but did not offer to go in at the window the magistrate it seems upon the information of the two men ordered the house to be broke open a constable and other persons being appointed to be present that nothing might be plundered and accordingly it was so done when nobody was found in the house but that young woman who had been infected and past recovery the rest had left her to die by herself and were every one gone having found some way to delude the watchman and to get open the door or get out at some back door or over the tops of the houses so that he knew nothing of it and as to those cries and shrieks which he heard it was supposed that they were the passionate cries of the family at the bitter parting which to be sure it was to them all this being the sister to the mistress of the family the man of the house his wife several children and servants being all gone and fled whether sick or sound that i could never learn nor indeed did i make much inquiry after it many such escapes were made out of infected houses as particularly when the watchman was sent of some errand for it was his business to go of any errand that the family sent him of that is to say for necessaries such as food and physic to fetch physicians if they would come or surgeons or nurses or to order the dead cart and the like but with this condition too 
that when he went he was to lock up the outer door of the house and take the key away with him. To evade this, and cheat the watchmen, people got two or three keys made to their locks, or they found ways to unscrew the locks, such as were screwed on, and so take off the lock, being in the inside of the house, and while they sent away the watchmen to the market, to the bake-house, or for one trifle or another, open the door, and go out as often as they pleased. But, this being found out, the officers afterwards had orders to padlock up the doors on the outside, and place bolts on them as they thought fit. At another house, as I was informed, in the street next within Aldgate, a whole family was shut up and locked in, because the maid-servant was taken sick. The master of the house had complained by his friends to the next alderman, and to the Lord Mayor, and had consented to have the maid carried to the pest-house, but was refused. So the door was marked with a red cross, a padlock on the outside, as above, and a watchman set to keep the door, according to public order. After the master of the house found there was no remedy, but that he, his wife, and his children, were to be locked up with this poor, distempered servant, he called to the watchman, and told him he must go then, and fetch a nurse for them to attend this poor girl, for that it would be certain death to them all, to oblige them to nurse her, and told him plainly, that if he would not do this, the maid must perish, either of the distemper, or be starved for want of food, for he was resolved none of his family should go near her, and she lay in the garret four-story high, where she could not cry out, or call to anybody for help. The watchman consented to that, and went and fetched a nurse, as he was appointed, and brought her to them the same evening. During this interval the master of the house took his opportunity to break a large hole through his shop into a bulk or stall, where formerly a cobbler had sat, before or under his shop-window. But the tenant, as may be supposed at such a dismal time as that, was dead or removed, and so he had the key in his own keeping. Having made his way into this stall, which he could not have done if the man had been at the door, the noise he was obliged to make being such as would have alarmed the watchman, I say, having made his way into this stall, he sat still, till the watchman returned with the nurse, and all the next day also. But the night following, having contrived to send the watchman on another trifling errand, which, as I take it, was to an apothecary's for a plaster for the maid, which he was to stay for the making up, or some other such errand that might secure him staying some time. In that time he conveyed himself and all his family out of the house, and left the nurse and the watchman to bury the poor wench, that is, throw her into the cart, and take care of the house. I could give a great many such stories as these, diverting enough, which, in the long course of that dismal year, I met with, that is, heard of, and which are very certain to be true, or very near the truth, that is to say, true 
in the general, for no man could at such a time learn all the particulars. There was likewise violence used with the watchman, as was reported in abundance of places, and I believe that from the beginning of the visitation to the end there was not less than eighteen or twenty of them killed, or so wounded as to be taken up for dead, which was supposed to be done by the people in the infected houses which were shut up, and where they attempted to come out and were opposed. Nor, indeed, could less be expected, for here were so many prisons in the town as there were houses shut up, and as the people shut up or imprisoned so were guilty of no crime, only shut up because miserable, it was really the more intolerable to them. It had also this difference, that every prison, as we may call it, had but one jailer, and as he had the whole house to guard, and that many houses were so situated, as that they had several ways out, some more, some less, and some into several streets, it was impossible for one man so to guard all the passages as to prevent the escape of people made desperate by the fright of their circumstances, by the resentment of their usage, or by the raging of the distemper itself, so that they would talk to the watchman on one side of the house, while the family made their escape at another. For example, in Coleman Street, there are abundance of alleys, as appears still. A house was shut up in that they call White's Alley, and this house had a back window, not a door, into a court, which had a passage into Bell Alley. A watchman was set by the constable at the door of this house, and there he stood, or his comrade, night and day, while the family went all away in the evening out at that window into the court, and left the poor fellows warding and watching for near a fortnight. Not far from the same place they blew up a watchman with gunpowder, and burned the poor fellow dreadfully, and while he made hideous cries, and nobody would venture to come near to help him, the whole family that were able to stir got out at the windows one story high, two that were left sick calling out for help. Care was taken to give them nurses to look after them, but the persons fled were never found, till, after the plague was abated, they returned. But, as nothing could be proved, so nothing could be done to them. It is to be considered, too, that, as these were prisons without bars and bolts, which our common prisons are furnished with, so the people let themselves down out of their windows, even in the face of the watchman, bringing swords or pistols in their hands, and threatening the poor wretch to shoot him if he stirred or called for help. In other cases, some had gardens and walls or pales between them and their neighbors, or yards and back-houses and these, by friendship and entreaties, would get leave to get over these walls or pales, and so go out at their neighbors' doors, or by giving money to their servants, get them to let them through in the night, so that, in short, the shutting up of houses was 
in no wise to be depended upon. Neither did it answer the end at all, serving more to make the people desperate, and drive them to such extremities as that they would break out at all adventures. And that which was still worse, those that did thus break out spread the infection farther by their wandering about with the distemper upon them, in their desperate circumstances, than they would otherwise have done. For whoever considers all the particulars in such cases must acknowledge, and we cannot doubt, but the severity of those confinements made many people desperate, and made them run out of their houses at all hazards, and with the plague visibly upon them, not knowing either whither to go or what to do, or indeed what they did. And many that did so were driven to dreadful exigencies and extremities, and perished in the streets or fields for mere want, or dropped down by the raging violence of the fever upon them. Others wandered into the country, and went forward anyway, as their desperation guided them, not knowing whither they went or would go, till, faint and tired, and not getting any relief, the houses and villages on the road refusing to admit them to lodge, whether infected or no, they have perished by the roadside, or gotten into barns, and died there, none daring to come to them, or relieve them, though perhaps not infected, for nobody would believe them. On the other hand, when the plague at first seized a family, that is to say, when any body of the family had gone out and unwarily or otherwise catched the distemper and brought it home, it was certainly known by the family before it was known by the officers, who, as you will see by the order, were appointed to examine into the circumstances of all sick persons when they heard of their being sick. In this interval, between their being taken sick and examiners coming, the master of the house had leisure and liberty to remove himself or all his family, if he knew whither to go, and many did so. But the great disaster was that many did thus after they were really infected themselves, and so carried the disease into the houses of those who were so hospitable as to receive them, which, it must be confessed, was very cruel and ungrateful. And this was in part the reason of the general notion, or scandal, rather, which went about of the temper of people infected, namely, that they did not take the least care or make any scruple of infecting others, though I cannot say, but there might be some truth in it too, but not so general as was reported. What natural reason could be given for so wicked a thing, at a time when they might conclude themselves just going to appear at the bar of divine justice, I know not. I am very well satisfied that it cannot be reconciled to religion and principle any more than it can be to generosity and humanity, but I may speak of that again. 
I am speaking now of people made desperate by the apprehension of their being shut up, and their breaking out by stratagem or force, either before or after they were shut up, whose misery was not lessened when they were out, but sadly increased. On the other hand, many that thus got away had retreats to go to, and other houses, where they locked themselves up, and kept hid till the plague was over, and many families, foreseeing the approach of the distemper, laid up stores of provisions sufficient for their whole families, and shut themselves up, and that so entirely, that they were neither seen or heard of, till the infection was quite ceased, and then came abroad sound and well. I might recollect several such as these, and give you the particulars of their management, for doubtless it was the most effectual, secure step that could be taken, for such whose circumstances would not admit them to remove, or who had not retreats abroad proper for the case. For in being thus shut up, they were as if they had been a hundred miles off. Nor do I remember that any one of those families miscarried. Among these, several Dutch merchants were particularly remarkable, who kept their houses like little garrisons, besieged, suffering none to go in or out, or come near them, particularly one in a court in Throgmorton Street, whose house looked into Draper's Garden. But I come back to the case of families infected and shut up by the magistrates. The misery of those families is not to be expressed, and it was generally in such houses, that we heard the most dismal shrieks and outcries of the poor people, terrified and even frightened to death by the sight of the condition of their dearest relations, and by the terror of being imprisoned as they were. I remember, and while I am writing this story, I think I hear the very sound of it. A certain lady had an only daughter, a young maiden about nineteen years old, and who was possessed of a very considerable fortune. There were only lodgers in the house where they were. The young woman, her mother, and the maid had been abroad on some occasion, I do not remember what, for the house was not shut up. But about two hours after they came home, the young lady complained she was not well. In a quarter of an hour more she vomited, and had a violent pain in her head. "'Pray God,' says her mother, in a terrible fright, "'my child has not the distemper.' The pain in her head increasing, her mother ordered the bed to be warmed, and resolved to put her to bed, and prepared to give her things to sweat, which was the ordinary remedy to be taken when the first apprehensions of the distemper began. While the bed was airing, the mother undressed the young woman, and just as she was laid down in the bed, she, looking upon her body with a candle, immediately discovered the fatal tokens on the inside of her thighs. Her mother, not being able to contain herself, threw down her candle, and shrieked out in such a frightful manner that it was enough to place horror upon the stoutest heart in the world, nor was it one scream or one cry, 
but the fright having seized her spirits, she fainted first, then recovered, then ran all over the house, up the stairs and down the stairs, like one distracted, and, indeed, really was distracted, and continued screeching and crying out for several hours, void of all sense, or at least government of her senses, and, as I was told, never came thoroughly to herself again. As to the young maiden, she was a dead corpse from that moment, for the gangrene which occasions the spots had spread over her whole body, and she died in less than two hours. But still the mother continued crying out, not knowing anything more of her child several hours after she was dead. It is so long ago that I am not certain, but I think the mother never recovered, but died in two or three weeks after. This was an extraordinary case, and I am therefore the more particular in it, because I came so much to the knowledge of it. But there were innumerable such-like cases, and it was seldom that the weekly bill came in, but there were two or three put in, frighted, that is, that may well be called frighted to death. But besides those who were so frighted as to die upon the spot, there were great numbers frighted to other extremes, some frighted out of their senses, some out of their memory, and some out of their understanding. But I return to the shutting up of houses. As several people, I say, got out of their houses by stratagem after they were shut up, so others got out by bribing the watchmen, and giving them money to let them go privately out in the night. I must confess, I thought it at the time the most innocent corruption or bribery that any man could be guilty of, and therefore could not but pity the poor men, and think it was hard when three of those watchmen were publicly whipped through the streets for suffering people to go out of houses shut up. But notwithstanding that severity, money prevailed with the poor men, and many families found means to make sallies out, and escape that way after they had been shut up. But these were generally such as had some places to retire to, and though there was no easy way passing the roads any whither after the first of August, yet there were many ways of retreat, and particularly as I hinted, some got tents and set them up in the fields, carrying beds or straw to lie on, and provisions to eat, and so lived in them as hermits in a cell, for nobody would venture to come near them, and several stories were told of such, some comical, some tragical, some who lived like wandering pilgrims in the desert, and escaped by making themselves exiles, in such a manner as is scarce to be credited, and who yet enjoyed more liberty than was to be expected in such cases. End of section 5。section 6 of a Journal of the Plague Year by Daniel Defoe. 
This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. Section 6 I have by me a story of two brothers and their kinsmen, who being single men, but that had stayed in the city too long to get away, and indeed not knowing where to go to have any retreat, nor having wherewith to travel far, took a course for their own preservation, which though in itself at first desperate, yet was so natural that it may be wondered that no more did so at that time. They were but of mean condition, and yet not so very poor, as that they could not furnish themselves with some little conveniences such as might serve to keep life and soul together, and finding the distemper increasing in a terrible manner, they resolved to shift as well as they could, and to be gone. One of them had been a soldier in the late wars, and before that in the low countries, and having been bred to no particular employment but his arms, and besides being wounded, and not able to work very hard, had for some time been employed at a baker's of sea-biscuit in Wapping. The brother of this man was a seaman, too, but somehow or other had been hurt of one leg, that he could not go to sea, but had worked for his living at a sailmaker's in Wapping or thereabouts and, being a good husband, had laid up some money, and was the richest of the three. The third man was a joiner or carpenter by trade, a handy fellow, and he had no wealth but his box or basket of tools, with the help of which he could at any time get his living, such a time as this accepted, wherever he went, and he lived near Shadwell. They all lived in Stepney Parish, which, as I have said, being the last that was infected, or at least violently, they stayed there till they evidently saw the plague was abating at the west part of the town, and coming towards the east, where they lived. The story of those three men, if the reader will be content to have me give it in their own persons, without taking upon me to either vouch the particulars or answer for any mistakes, I shall give as distinctly as I can, believing the history will be a very good pattern for any poor man to follow, in case the like public desolation should happen here, and if there be no such occasion, which God of his infinite mercy grant us, still the story may have its uses so many ways as that it will. I hope never be said that the relating has been unfavorable. I say all this previous to the history, having yet, for the present, much more to say before I quit my own part. I went all the first part of the time freely about the streets, though not so freely as to run myself into apparent danger, except when they dug the great pit in the churchyard of our parish of Aldgate. A terrible pit it was, and I could not resist my curiosity to go and see it. As near as I may judge, it was about forty feet in length, and about fifteen or sixteen feet broad, and, at the time I first looked at it, about nine feet deep. But it was said they dug it near twenty feet deep afterwards in one part of it, till they could go no deeper for the water. For they had, it seems, 
dug several large pits before this. For though the plague was long a-coming to our parish, yet, when it did come, there was no parish in or about London where it raged with such violence as the two parishes of Aldgate and Whitechapel. I say they had dug several pits in another ground when the distemper began to spread in our parish, and especially when the dead carts began to go about, which was not in our parish till the beginning of August. Into these pits they had put, perhaps, fifty or sixty bodies each. Then they made larger holes, wherein they buried all that the cart brought in a week, which, by the middle to the end of August, came to from two hundred to four hundred a week. And they could not well dig them larger, because of the order of the magistrates confining them to leave no bodies within six feet of the surface, and the water coming on at about seventeen or eighteen feet, they could not well, I say, put more in one pit. But now, at the beginning of September, the plague raging in a dreadful manner, and the number of burials in our parish increasing to more than was ever buried in any parish about London of no larger extent, they ordered this dreadful gulf to be dug, for such it was, rather than a pit. They had supposed this pit would have supplied them for a month or more when they dug it, and some blamed the churchwardens for suffering such a frightful thing, telling them they were making preparations to bury the whole parish, and the like. But time made it appear the churchwardens knew the condition of the parish better than they did, for the pit being finished the 4th of September, I think, they began to bury in it the 6th, and by the 20th, which was just two weeks, they had thrown into it one thousand one hundred and fourteen bodies, when they were obliged to fill it up, the bodies being then come to lie within six feet of the surface. I doubt not, but there may be some ancient persons alive in the parish who can justify the fact of this, and are able to show even in what place of the churchyard the pit lay better than I can. The mark of it also was many years to be seen in the churchyard on the surface, lying in length parallel with the passage which goes by the west wall of the churchyard out of Houndsditch, and turns east again into Whitechapel, coming out near the Three Nuns Inn. It was about the 10th of September that my curiosity led, or rather drove me, to go and see this pit again when there had been near four hundred people buried in it, and I was not content to see it in the daytime, as I had done before, for then there would have been nothing to have been seen but the loose earth, for all the bodies that were thrown in were immediately covered with earth by those they called the barriers, which at other times were called bearers. But I resolved to go in the night and see some of them thrown in, there was a strict order to prevent people coming to those pits, and that was only to prevent infection. But after some time that order was more necessary, for people that were infected, and near their end, and delirious also, 
would run to these pits, wrapped in blankets or rugs, and throw themselves in, and, as they said, bury themselves. I cannot say that the officers suffered any willingly to lie there, but I have heard that in a great pit in Finsbury, in the parish of Cripplegate, it lying open then to the fields, for it was not then walled about, many came and threw themselves in, and expired there, before they threw any earth upon them, and that when they came to bury others, and found them there, they were quite dead, though not cold. This may serve a little to describe the dreadful condition of that day, though it is impossible to say anything that is able to give a true idea of it to those who did not see it, other than this, that it was indeed very, very, very dreadful, and such as no tongue can express. I got admittance into the churchyard by being acquainted with the sexton who attended, who, though he did not refuse me at all, yet earnestly persuaded me not to go, telling me very seriously, for he was a good, religious, and sensible man, that it was indeed their business and duty to venture and to run all hazards, and that in it they might hope to be preserved, but that I had no apparent call to it but my own curiosity, which he said he believed I would not pretend was sufficient to justify my running that hazard. I told him I had been pressed in my mind to go, and that perhaps it might be an instructing sight that might not be without its uses. Nay, says the good man, if you will venture upon that score, name of God, go in, for, depend upon it, twill be a sermon to you, it may be, the best that ever you have heard in your life. Tis a speaking sight, says he, and has a voice with it, and a loud one, to call us all to repentance. And with that he opened the door and said, Go, if you will. His discourse had shocked my resolution a little, and I stood wavering for a good while. But just at that interval I saw two links come over from the end of the menories, and heard the bellman, and then appeared a dead cart, as they called it, coming over the streets. So I could no longer resist my desire of seeing it, and went in. There was nobody, as I could perceive at first in the churchyard, or going into it, but the barriers and the fellow that drove the cart, or rather led the horse and cart. But when they came up to the pit, they saw a man go to, and again, muffled up in a brown cloak, and making motions with his hands under his cloak, as if he was in great agony. And the barriers immediately gathered about him, supposing he was one of those poor delirious or desperate creatures that used to pretend, as I have said, to bury themselves. He said nothing as he walked about, but two or three times groaned very deeply and loud, and sighed as he would break his heart. When the barriers came up to him, they soon found that he was neither a person infected and desperate, as I have observed above, 
or a person distempered, in mind, but one oppressed with a dreadful weight of grief, indeed, having his wife and several of his children all in the cart, and was just come in with him, and he followed in an agony and excess of sorrow. He mourned heartily, as it was easy to see, but with a kind of masculine grief that could not give itself vent by tears, and, calmly defying the barriers to let him alone, said he would only see the bodies thrown in and go away. So they left importuning him, but no sooner was the cart turned around and the bodies shot into the pit promiscuously, which was a surprise to him, for he at least expected that they would have been decently laid in, though, indeed, he was later convinced that was impracticable. I say, no sooner did he see the sight, but he cried out aloud, unable to contain himself. I could not hear what he said, but he went backward two or three steps, and fell down in a swoon. The barriers ran to him and took him up, and in a little while he came to himself, and they led him away to the pie tavern, over against the end of Houndsditch, where it seems the man was known, and where they took care of him. He looked into the pit again as he went away, but the barriers had covered the bodies so immediately with throwing in earth, that though there was light enough, for there were lanterns and candles in them, placed all night round the sides of the pit, upon heaps of earth, seven or eight, or perhaps more, yet nothing could be seen. This was a mournful scene indeed, and affected me almost as much as the rest, but the other was awful and full of terror. The cart had in it sixteen or seventeen bodies, some were wrapped up in linen sheets, some in rags, some little other than naked, or so loose that what covering they had fell from them in the shooting out of the cart, and they fell quite naked among the rest. But the matter was not much to them, or the indecency much to any one else, seeing they were all dead, and were to be huddled together into the common grave of mankind, as we may call it. For here was no difference made, but poor and rich went together. There was no other way of burials, neither was it possible there should, for coffins were not to be had for the prodigious numbers that fell in such a calamity as this. It was reported by way of scandal upon the barriers that if any corpse was delivered to them decently wound up, as we called it then, in a winding sheet tied over the head and feet, which some did, and which was generally of good linen, I say it was reported that the barriers were so wicked as to strip them in the cart, and carry them quite naked to the ground. But, as I cannot easily credit anything so vile among Christians, and at a time so filled with terrors as that was, I can only relate it and leave it undetermined. Innumerable stories also went about of the cruel behaviours and practices of nurses who tended the sick, 
and of their hastening on the fate of those they tended in their sickness. But I shall say more of this in its place. I was indeed shocked with this sight. It almost overwhelmed me, and I went away with my heart most afflicted, and full of the afflicting thoughts, such as I cannot describe just at my going out of the church, and turning up the street towards my own house. I saw another cart with links, and a bellman going before, coming out of Harrow Alley, and the butcher row, and on the other side of the way, and being, as I perceived, very full of dead bodies, it went directly over the street also, toward the church. I stood a while, but I had no stomach to go back again to see the same dismal scene over again, so I went directly home, where I could not but consider with thankfulness the risk I had run, believing I had gotten no injury, as indeed I had not. Here the poor unhappy gentleman's grief came into my head again, and, indeed, I could not but shed tears in the reflection upon it, perhaps more than he did himself. But his case lay so heavy upon my mind that I could not prevail with myself, but that I must go out again into the street, and go to the Pie Tavern, resolving to inquire what became of him. It was by this time one o'clock in the morning, and yet the poor gentleman was there. The truth was, the people of the house, knowing him, had entertained him and kept him there all the night, notwithstanding the danger of being infected by him, though it appeared the man was perfectly sound himself. It is with regret that I take notice of this tavern. The people were civil, mannerly, and an obliging sort of folks enough, and had till this time kept their house open and their trade going on, though not so very publicly as formerly. But there was a dreadful set of fellows that used their house, and who, in the middle of all this horror, met there every night, behaved with all the reveling and roaring extravagances as is usual for such people to do at other times, and, indeed, to such an offensive degree that the very master and mistress of the house grew first ashamed and then terrified at them. They sat generally in a room next the street, and, as they always kept late hours, so when the dead cart came across the street end to go into Houndsditch, which was in view of the tavern windows, they would frequently open the windows as soon as they heard the bell and look out at them and, as they might often hear sad lamentations of people in the streets or at their windows as the carts went by, they would make their impudent mocks and jeers at them, especially if they heard the poor people call upon God to have mercy upon them, as many would do at those times in their ordinary passing along the streets. These gentlemen, being something disturbed with the clutter of bringing the poor gentleman into the house, as above, were first angry and very high with the master of the house for suffering such a fellow, as they called him, to be brought out of the grave into their house. But being answered that the man was a neighbour, and that he was sound, 
but overwhelmed with the calamity of his family, and the like, they turned their anger into ridiculing the man, and his sorrow for his wife and children taunted him with want of courage to leap into the great pit and go to heaven, as they jeeringly expressed it, along with them, adding some very profane and even blasphemous expressions. They were at this vile work when I came back to the house, and, as far as I could see, though the man sat still, mute and disconsolate, and their affronts could not divert his sorrow, yet he was both grieved and offended at their discourse. Upon this I gently reproved them, being well enough acquainted with their characters, and not unknown in person to two of them. They immediately fell upon me with ill language and oaths, asked me what I did out of my grave at such time, when so many honester men were carried into the churchyard, and why I was not at home saying my prayers against the dead cart came for me, and the like. I was indeed astounded at the impudence of the men, though not at all discomposed at their treatment of me. However, I kept my temper. I told them that, though I defied them or any man in the world to tax me with any dishonesty, yet I acknowledged that, in this terrible judgment of God, many better than I were swept away and carried to their grave. But to answer their question directly, the case was, that I was mercifully preserved by the great God whose name they had blasphemed and taken in vain by cursing and swearing in a dreadful manner, and that I believed I was preserved in particular, among other ends of his goodness, that I might reprove them for their audacious boldness in behaving in such a manner, and in such an awful time as this was, especially for their jeering and mocking at an honest gentleman and a neighbor, for some of them knew him, who, they saw, was overwhelmed with sorrow for the breaches which it had pleased God to make upon his family. I cannot call exactly to mind the hellish, abominable raillery which was the return they made to that talk of mine, being provoked, it seems, that I was not at all afraid to be free with them. Nor, if I could remember, would I fill my account with any of the words, the horrid oaths, curses, and vile expressions, such as, at that time of the day, even the worst and ordinariest people in the street would not use, for, except such hardened creatures as these, the most wicked wretches that could be found had at that time some terror upon their minds of the hand of that power which could thus in a moment destroy them. But that which was the worst in all their devilish language was that they were not afraid to blaspheme God, and talk atheistically, making a jest of my calling the plague the hand of God, mocking, and even laughing at the word judgment, as if the providence of God had no concern in the inflicting such a desolating stroke, and that the people calling him God, as they saw the carts carrying away the dead bodies, were all enthusiastic, absurd, and impertinent. I made them some reply, 
such as I thought proper, but which I found was so far from putting a check to their horrid way of speaking, that it made them rail the more, so that I confess it filled me with horror, and a kind of rage, and I came away, as I told them, lest the hand of that judgment which had visited the whole city should glorify his vengeance upon them, and all that were near them. They received all reproof with the utmost contempt, and made the greatest mockery that was possible for them to do at me, giving me all the opprobrious, insolent scoffs that they could think of for preaching to them, as they called it, which indeed grieved me rather than angered me. And I went away, blessing God, however, in my mind, that I had not spared them, though they had insulted me so much. They continued this wretched course three or four days after this, continually mocking and jeering at all that showed themselves religious or serious, or that were any way touched with the sense of the terrible judgment of God upon us, and I was informed they flouted in the same manner at the good people who, notwithstanding the contagion, met at the church, fasted, and prayed to God to remove his hand from them. I say, they continued this dreadful course three or four days, I think it was no more, when one of them, particularly he who asked the poor gentleman what he did out of his grave, was struck from heaven with the plague, and died in a most deplorable manner. And, in a word, they were every one of them carried into the great pit which I have mentioned above, before it was quite filled up, which was not above a fortnight or thereabout. These men were guilty of many extravagances, such as one would think human nature should have trembled at the thoughts of, at such a time of general terror as was then upon us, and, particularly, scoffing and mocking at everything which they happened to see that was religious among the people, especially at their thronging zealously to the place of public worship, to implore mercy from heaven in such a time of distress, and this tavern where they held their dub, being within view of the church door, they had the more particular occasion for their atheistical, profane mirth. But this began to abate a little with them before the accident which I have related happened, for the infection increased so violently at this part of the town now, that people began to be afraid to come to the church, at least such numbers did not resort thither as was usual. Many of the clergymen, likewise, were dead, and others gone into the country, for it really required a steady courage and a strong faith for a man not only to venture being in town at such a time as this, but likewise to venture to come to church and perform the office of a minister to a congregation of whom he had reason to believe many of them were actually infected with the plague, and to do this every day or twice a day, as in some places, was done. It is true the people showed an extraordinary zeal in these religious exercises, and, as the church doors were always open, people would go in single at all times, whether the minister was officiating or no, 
and locking themselves into separate pews, would be praying to God with great fervency and devotion. Others assembled at meeting-houses, every one as their different opinions in such things guided, but all were promiscuously the subject of these men's drollery, especially at the beginning of the visitation. It seems they had been checked for their open, insulting religion in this manner by several good people of every persuasion, and that, and the violent raging of the infection, I suppose, was the occasion that they had abated much of their rudeness for some time before, and were only roused by the spirit of ribaldry and atheism at the clamour which was made when the gentleman was first brought in there and perhaps were agitated by the same devil, when I took upon me to reprove them, though I did it at first with all the calmness, temper, and good manners that I could, which, for a while, they insulted me the more for thinking it had been in fear of their resentment, though afterwards they found the contrary. I went home, indeed, grieved and afflicted in my mind, at the abominable wickedness of those men, not doubting, however, that they would be made dreadful examples of God's justice. For I looked upon this dismal time to be a particular season of divine vengeance, and that God would, on this occasion, single out the proper objects of his displeasure in a more especial and remarkable manner than at another time and that though I did believe that many good people would, and did, fall in the common calamity, and that it was no certain rule to judge of the eternal state of any one by their being distinguished in such a time of general destruction, neither one way or other. Yet, I say, it could not but seem reasonable to believe that God would not think fit to spare by his mercy such open, declared enemies that should insult his name and being, defy his vengeance, and mock at his worship and worshippers at such a time. No, not though his mercy had thought fit to bear with and spare them at other times, that this was a day of visitation, a day of God's anger, and those words came into my thought, Jeremiah, verse 9. Shall I not visit for these things, saith the Lord, and shall not my soul be avenged of such a nation as this? These things, I say, lay upon my mind, and I went home very much grieved and oppressed with the horror of these men's wickedness, and to think that anything could be so vile, so hardened, and notoriously wicked as to insult God and his servants, and his worship, in such a manner, and at such a time as this was, when he had, as it were, his sword drawn in his hand, on purpose to take vengeance, not on them only, but on the whole nation. I had indeed been in some passion at first with them, though it was really raised, not by any affront they had offered me personally, but by the horror their blaspheming tongues filled me with. However, I was doubtful in my thoughts whether the resentment I retained was 
not all upon my own private account, for they had given me a great deal of ill-language too, I mean, personally. But, after some pause, and having a weight of grief upon my mind, I retired myself as soon as I came home, for I slept not that night, and giving God most humble thanks for my preservation in the imminent danger I had been in, I set my mind seriously, and with the utmost earnestness, to pray for those desperate wretches that God would pardon them, open their eyes, and effectually humble them. By this I not only did my duty, namely to pray for those who despitefully used me, but I fully tried my own heart, to my full satisfaction, that it was not filled with any spirit of resentment as they had offended me in particular. And I humbly recommend the method to all those that would know, or be certain, how to distinguish between their zeal for the honour of God, and the effects of their private passions and resentment. End of section 6section seven of a journal of the plague year by daniel defoe this librivox recording is in the public domain read by dennis sayers section seven but i must go back here to the particular incidents which occur to my thoughts of the time of the visitation and particularly to the time of their shutting up houses in the first part of their sickness. For, before the sickness was come to its height, people had more room to make their observations than they had afterward. But, when it was in the extremity, there was no such thing as communication with one another as before. During the shutting up of houses, as I have said, some violence was offered to the watchmen. As to the soldiers, there were none to be found. The few guards which the king then had, which were nothing like the number entertained since, were dispersed, either at Oxford with the court, or in quarters in the remoter parts of the country, small detachments excepted, who did duty at the tower and at Whitehall, and these but very few. Neither am I positive that there was any other guard at the tower than the warders, as they called them, who stand at the gate with gowns and caps, the same as the yeomen of the guard, except the ordinary gunners, who were twenty-four, and the officers appointed to look after the magazine, who were called armorers. As to trained bands, there was no possibility of raising any, neither if the lieutenancy, either of London or Middlesex, had ordered the drums to beat for the militia, would any of the companies, I believe, have drawn together, whatever risk they had run. This made the watchmen be the less regarded, and perhaps occasioned the greater violence to be used against them. I mention it on this score, to observe that the setting watchmen, thus to keep the people in, was, first of all, not effectual, but that the people broke out, whether by force or by stratagem, even almost as often as they pleased, 
and second, that those that did thus break out were generally people infected, who, in their desperation, running about from one place to another, valued not whom they injured, and which, perhaps, as I have said, might give birth to report that it was natural to the infected people to desire to infect others, which report was really false. And I know it so well, and in so many several cases, that I could give several relations of good, pious, and religious people, who, when they have had the distemper, have been so far from being forward to infect others, that they have forbid their own family to come near them, in hopes of their being preserved, and have even died without seeing their nearest relations, lest they should be instrumental to give them the distemper, and infect or endanger them. If, then, there were cases wherein the infected people were careless of the injury they did to others, this was certainly one of them, if not the chief, namely, when people who had the distemper had broken out from houses which were so shut up, and, having been driven to extremities for provision or for entertainment, had endeavoured to conceal their condition, and have been thereby instrumental, involuntarily, to infect others, who have been ignorant and unwary. This is one of the reasons why I believed then, and do believe still, that the shutting up houses thus by force, and restraining, or rather imprisoning, people in their own houses, as I said above, was of little or no service in the whole. Nay, I am of opinion it was rather hurtful, having forced those desperate people to wander abroad with the plague upon them, who would otherwise have died quietly in their beds. I remember one citizen who, having thus broken out of his house in Aldersgate Street, or thereabout, went along the road to Islington. He attempted to have gone in at the Angel Inn, and after that the White Horse, two inns known still by the same signs, but was refused, after which he came to the Pied Bull, an inn also still continuing the same sign. He asked them for lodging for one night only, pretending to be going into Lincolnshire, and assuring them of his being very sound and free from the infection, which also at that time had not reached much that way. They told him they had no lodging they could spare but one bed up in the garret, and that they could spare that bed for one night, some drovers being expected the next day with cattle. So, if he would accept of that lodging he might have it, which he did. So a servant was sent up with a candle with him to show him the room. He was very well dressed, and looked like a person not used to lie in a garret, and when he came to the room he fetched a deep sigh, and said to the servant, I have seldom lain in such a lodging as this. However, the servant assuring him again that they had no better, well, says he, I must make shift. This is a dreadful time, but it is but for one night. So he sat down upon the bedside, and bade the maid, I think it was, fetch him up a pint of warm ale. Accordingly the servant went for the ale, but some hurry in the house, which perhaps employed her other ways, put it out of her head, 
and she went up no more to him. The next morning, seeing no appearance of the gentleman, somebody in the house asked the servant that had showed him upstairs what was become of him. She started. Alas, I, says she, I never thought more of him. He bade me carry him some warm ale, but I forgot. Upon which, not the maid, but some other person was sent up to see after him, who, coming into the room, found him stark, dead, and almost cold, stretched out across the bed. His clothes were pulled off, his jaw fallen, his eyes open in a most frightful posture, the rug of the bed being grasped hard in one of his hands, so that it was plain he died soon after the maid left him, and tis probable, had she gone up with the ale, she had found him dead in a few minutes after he sat down upon the bed. The alarm was great in the house, as any one may suppose, they having been free from the distemper till that disaster, which, bringing the infection to the house, it spread immediately to other houses round about it. I do not remember how many died in the house itself, but I think the maidservant who went up first with him fell presently ill by the fright, and several others, for whereas there died but two in Islington of the plague the week before, there died seventeen the week after, whereof fourteen were of the plague. This was the week from the eleventh of July to the eighteenth. There was one shift that some families had, and that not a few, when their houses happened to be infected, and that was this. The families who, in the first breaking out of the distemper, fled away into the country and had retreats among their friends, generally found some or other of their neighbors or relations to commit the charge of those houses to for the safety of the goods and the like. Some houses were, indeed, entirely locked up, the doors padlocked, the windows and doors having deal boards nailed over them, and only the inspection of them committed to the ordinary watchmen and parish officers. But these were but few. It was thought that there were not less than ten thousand houses forsaken of the inhabitants in the city and suburbs, including what was in the out-parishes and in Surrey, or the side of the water they call Southwark. This was besides the numbers of lodgers and of particular persons who were fled out of other families, so that in all it was computed that about two hundred thousand people were fled and gone. But of this I shall speak again. But I mention it here on this account, namely, that it was a rule with those who had thus two houses in their keeping or care, that if anybody was taken sick in a family, before the master of the family let the examiners or any other officer know of it, he immediately would send all the rest of his family, whether children or servants, as it fell out to be, to such other house which he had so in charge, and then, giving notice of the sick person to the examiner, have a nurse or nurses appointed, and have another person to be shut up in the house with them, which many for money would do so to take charge of the house in case the person should die. This was, in many cases, the saving a whole family who, if they had been shut up with the sick person, would inevitably have perished. But, on the other hand, this was another of the inconveniences of shutting up houses, 
for the apprehensions and terror of being shut up made many run away with the rest of the family, who, though it was not publicly known, and they were not quite sick, had yet the distemper upon them, and who, by having an uninterrupted liberty to go about, but being obliged still to conceal their circumstances, or perhaps not knowing it themselves, gave the distemper to others, and spread the infection in a dreadful manner, as I shall explain further hereafter. And here I may be able to make an observation or two of my own, which may be of use hereafter to those into whose hands these may come, if they should ever see the like dreadful visitation. 1. The infection generally came into the houses of the citizens by the means of their servants, whom they were obliged to send up and down the streets for necessaries, that is to say, for food or physic, to bake-houses, brew-houses, shops, etc., and who, going necessarily through the streets into shops, markets, and the like, it was impossible but that they should, one way or another, meet with distempered people, who conveyed the fatal breath into them, and they brought it home to the families to which they belonged. 2. It was a great mistake that such a great city as this had but one pest-house, for had there been, instead of one pest-house, viz. beyond Bunhole Fields, where at most they could receive perhaps two hundred or three hundred people, I say, had there been, instead of that one, several pest-houses, every one able to contain a thousand people, without lying two in a bed, or two beds in a room, and had every master of a family, as soon as any servant especially had been taken sick in his house, been obliged to send them to the next pest-house, if they were willing, as many were, and had the examiners done the like among the poor people, when any had been stricken with the infection. I say, had this been done, where the people were willing, not otherwise, and the houses not been shut, I am persuaded, and was all the while of that opinion, that not so many by several thousands had died. For it was observed, and I could give several instances within the compass of my own knowledge, where a servant had been taken sick, and the family had either time to send him out, or retire from the house, and leave the sick person, as I have said above, they had all been preserved whereas when, upon one or more sickening in a family, the house has been shut up, the whole family have perished, and the bearers been obliged to go in to fetch out the dead bodies, not being able to bring them to the door, and at last none left to do it. 3. This put it out of the question to me that the calamity was spread by infection, that is to say, by some certain steams or fumes, which the physicians call effluvia, by the breath, or by the sweat, or by the stench of the sores of the sick persons, or some other way, perhaps, beyond even the reach of the physicians themselves, which effluvia affected the sound who came within certain distances of the sick, immediately penetrating the vital parts of the said sound persons, putting their blood into an immediate ferment, and agitating their spirits to that degree 
which it was found they were agitated, and so those newly infected persons communicated it in the same manner to others. And this I shall give some instances of, that cannot but convince those who seriously consider it, and I cannot but with some wonder find some people, now the contagion is over, talk of its being an immediate stroke from heaven, without the agency of means, having commissioned to strike this and that particular person, and none other, which I look upon with contempt as to the effect of manifest ignorance and enthusiasm. Likewise the opinion of others, who talk of infection being carried on by the air only, by carrying with it vast numbers of insects and invisible creatures, who enter into the body with the breath, or even at the pores with the air, and there generate or emit most acute poisons, or poisonous ovae, or eggs, which mingle themselves with the blood, and so infect the body. A discourse full of learned simplicity, and manifested to be so by universal experience. But I shall say more to this case in its order. I must here take further notice that nothing was more fatal to the inhabitants of this city than the supine negligence of the people themselves, who, during the long notice or warning they had of the visitation, made no provision for it by laying in store of provisions, or of other necessaries, by which they might have lived, retired, and within their own houses, as I have observed others did, and who were in a great measure preserved by that caution. Nor were they, after they were a little hardened to it, so shy of conversing with one another, when actually infected, as they were at first. No, though they knew it. I acknowledge I was one of those thoughtless ones that had made so little provision that my servants were obliged to go out of doors to buy every trifle by penny and halfpenny, just as before it began. Even though my experience showing me the folly, I began to be wiser so late that I had scarce time to store myself sufficient for our common subsistence for a month. I had in family only an ancient woman that managed the house, a maid-servant, two apprentices, and myself, and, the plague beginning to increase about us, I had many sad thoughts about what course I should take, and how I should act. The many dismal objects which happened everywhere as I went about the streets had filled my mind with a great deal of horror for fear of the distemper, which was indeed very horrible in itself, and in some more than in others. The swellings, which were generally in the neck or groin, when they grew hard and would not break, grew so painful that it was equal to the most exquisite torture, and some, not able to bear the torment, threw themselves out at windows or shot themselves or otherwise made themselves away, and I saw several dismal objects of that kind. Others, unable to contain themselves, vented their pain by incessant roarings, and such loud and lamentable cries were to be heard as we walked along the streets, that would pierce the very heart to think of, especially when it was to be considered 
that the same dreadful scourge might be expected every moment to seize upon ourselves. I cannot say but that now I began to faint in my resolutions. My heart failed me very much, and sorely I repented of my rashness. When I had been out, and met with such terrible things as these I have talked of, I say, I repented my rashness in venturing to abide in town. I wished often that I had not taken upon me to stay, but had gone away with my brother and his family. Terrified by those frightful objects, I would retire home sometimes, and resolve to go out no more, and perhaps I would keep those resolutions for three or four days, which time I spent in the most serious thankfulness for my preservation and the preservation of my family, and the constant confession of my sins, giving myself up to God every day, and applying to Him with fasting, humiliation, and meditation. Such intervals as I had I employed in reading books, and in writing down my memorandums of what occurred to me every day, and out of which afterwards I took most of this work, as it relates to my observation without doors. What I wrote of my private meditations I reserve for private use, and desire it may not be made public on any account whatever. I also wrote other meditations upon divine subjects, such as occurred to me at that time, and were profitable to myself, but not fit for any other view, and therefore I say no more of that. I had a very good friend, a physician whose name was Heath, whom I frequently visited during this dismal time, and to whose advice I was very much obliged for many things which he directed me to take, by way of preventing the infection when I went out, as he found I frequently did, and to hold in my mouth when I was in the streets. He also came very often to see me, and, as he was a good Christian, as well as a good physician, his agreeable conversation was a very great support to me in the worst of this terrible time. It was now the beginning of August, and the plague grew very violent and terrible in the place where I lived, and Dr. Heath coming to visit me, and finding that I ventured so often out in the streets, earnestly persuaded me to lock myself up and my family, and not to suffer any of us to go out of doors, to keep all of our windows fast, shutters and curtains closed, and never to open them, but first to make a very strong smoke in the room where the window or door was to be opened, with rosin and pitch, brimstone or gunpowder, and the like. And we did this for some time, but as I had not laid in a store of provision for such a retreat, it was impossible that we could keep within doors entirely. However, I attempted, though it was so very late, to do something towards it, and first, as I had convenience both for brewing and baking, I went and bought two sacks of meal, and for several weeks having an oven, we baked all our own bread. Also, I bought malt, and brewed as much beer as all the casts I had would hold, and which seemed enough to serve my house for five or six weeks. Also I laid in a quantity of salt butter and Cheshire cheese, but I had no flesh meat, 
and the plague raged so violently among the butchers and slaughterhouses on the other side of our street, where they are well known to dwell in great numbers, that it was not advisable so much as to go over the street among them. And here I must observe again that this necessity of going out of our houses to buy provisions was in a great measure the ruin of the whole city. For the people catch the distemper on these occasions one of another, and even the provisions themselves were often tainted, at least I have great reason to believe so. And therefore I cannot say with satisfaction, what I know is repeated with great assurance, that the market-people and such as brought provisions to town were never infected. I am certain the butchers of Whitechapel, where the greatest part of the flesh-meat was killed, were dreadfully visited, and that, at least to such a degree, that few of their shops were kept open, and those that remained of them killed their meat at Mile End, and that way, and brought it to market upon horses. However, the poor people could not lay up provisions, and there was a necessity that they must go to market to buy, and others to send servants or their children, and as this was a necessity which renewed itself daily, it brought abundance of unsound people to the markets, and a great many that went thither sound brought death home with them. It is true people used all possible precaution. When any one bought a joint of meat in the market, they would not take it off the butcher's hand, but took it off the hooks themselves. On the other hand, the butcher would not touch the money, but have it put into a pot full of vinegar, which he kept for that purpose. The buyer always carried small money to make up any odd sum, that they might take no change. They carried bottles of scents and perfumes in their hands, and all the means that could be used were used. But then the poor could not even do these things, and they went at all hazards. Innumerable dismal stories were heard every day on this very account. Sometimes a man or woman dropped down dead in the very markets, for many people that had the plague upon them knew nothing of it, till the inward gangrene had affected their vitals, and they died in a few moments. This caused that many died frequently in that manner in the streets suddenly, without any warning. Others perhaps had time to go to the next bulk, or stall, or to any door-porch, and just sit down and die, as I have said before. These objects were so frequent in the streets that when the plague came to be very raging on one side, there was scarce any passing by the streets, but that several dead bodies would be lying here and there upon the ground. On the other hand, it is observable that, though at first the people would stop as they went along and call to the neighbors to come out on such an occasion, yet afterward no notice was taken of them but that, if at any time we found a corpse lying, go across the way, and not come near it, or, if in a narrow lane or passage, go back again and seek some other way to go on the business we were upon, and in those cases the corpse was always left 
till the officers had notice to come and take them away, or till night, when the bearers attending the dead cart would take them up and carry them away. Nor did those undaunted creatures who performed these offices fail to search their pockets, and sometimes strip off their clothes if they were well dressed, as sometimes they were, and carry off what they could get. But to return to the markets. The butchers took that care that if any person died in the market they had the officers always at hand to take them up upon hand-barrows, and carry them to the next churchyard, and this was so frequent that such were not entered in the weekly bill, found dead in the streets or fields, as is the case now, but they went into the general articles of the great distemper. But now the fury of the distemper increased to such a degree that even the markets were but very thinly furnished with provisions, or frequented with buyers compared to what they were before, and the Lord Mayor caused the country people who brought provisions to be stopped in the streets leading into the town, and to sit down there with their goods, where they sold what they brought, and went immediately away, and this encouraged the country people greatly to do so, for they sold their provisions at the very entrances into the town, and even in the fields, as particularly in the fields beyond Whitechapel, in Spitalfields, also in St. George's Fields in Southwark, in Bunhill Fields, and in a great field called Woods Close, near Islington. Thither the Lord Mayor, aldermen, and magistrates sent their officers and servants to buy for their families, themselves keeping within doors as much as possible, and the like did many other people, and after this method was taken the country people came with great cheerfulness, and brought provisions of all sort, and very seldom got any harm, which I suppose added also to that report of their being miraculously preserved. End of section 7section eight of a journal of the plague year by daniel defoe this librivox recording is in the public domain read by danny sayers section eight as for my little family having thus as i have said laid in a store of bread butter cheese and beer i took my friend and physician's advice and locked myself up, and my family, and resolved to suffer the hardship of living a few months without flesh-meat, rather than to purchase it at the hazard of our lives. But though I confined my family, I could not prevail upon my unsatisfied curiosity to stay within entirely myself, and though I generally came frighted and terrified home, yet i could not restrain only that indeed i did not do it so frequently as at first i had some little obligations indeed upon me to go to my brother's house which was in coleman street parish and which he had left to my care and i went at first every day but afterwards only once or twice a week in these walks i had many dismal scenes before my eyes 
as particularly of persons falling dead in the streets, terrible shrieks and screechings of women, who, in their agonies, would throw open their chamber windows and cry out in a dismal, surprising manner. It is impossible to describe the variety of postures in which the passions of the poor people would express themselves. Passing through Token House Yard, in Lothbury, of a sudden a casement violently opened above my head, and a woman gave three frightful screeches, and then cried, Oh, death, 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 in a most inimitable tone, and which struck me with horror and a chillness in my very blood. There was nobody to be seen in the whole street, neither did any other window open, for people had no curiosity now in any case, nor could anybody help one another. So I went on to pass into Bell Alley. Just in Bell Alley, on the right hand of the passage, there was a more terrible cry than that, though it was not so directed out at the window. But the whole family was in a terrible fright, and I could hear women and children run screaming about the rooms like distracted, when a garret window opened, and somebody from a window on the other side of the alley called and asked, What is the matter? Upon which, from the first window, it was answered, Oh, Lord, my old master has hanged himself. The other asked, Is he quite dead? The first answered, Aye, aye, quite dead, quite dead and cold. This person was a merchant, and a deputy alderman, and very rich. I care not to mention the name, though I knew his name, too, but that would be a hardship to the family, which is now flourishing again. But this is but one. It is scarce credible what dreadful cases happened in particular families every day. People in the rage of the distemper, or in the torment of their swellings, which was indeed intolerable, running out of their own government, raving and distracted, and oftentimes laying violent hands upon themselves, throwing themselves out at their windows, shooting themselves, etc. Mothers murdering their own children in their lunacy, some dying of mere grief as a passion, some of mere fright and surprise without any infection at all, others frighted into idiocism and foolish distractions, some into despair and lunacy, others into melancholy madness. The pain of the swelling was in particular very violent, and to some intolerable. The physicians and surgeons may be said to have tortured many poor creatures even to death. The swellings in some grew hard, and they applied violent drawing plasters or poultices to break them, and if these did not do, they cut and scarified them in a terrible manner. In some those swellings were made hard partly by the force of the distemper, and partly by their being too violently drawn, and were so hard 
that no instrument could cut them, and then they burnt them with caustics, so that many died raving mad with the torment, and some in the very operation. In these distresses, some, for want of help to hold them down in their beds, or to look to them, laid hands upon themselves as above. Some broke out into the streets, perhaps naked, and would run directly down to the river, if they were not stopped by the watchmen or other officers, and plunged themselves into the water, wherever they found it. It often pierced my very soul to hear the groans and cries of those who were thus tormented. But, of the two, this was counted the most promising particular in the whole infection, for if these swellings could be brought to a head, and to break and run, or, as the surgeons call it, to digest, the patient generally recovered, whereas those who, like the gentlewoman's daughter, were struck with death at the beginning, and had the tokens come upon them, often went about indifferent easy, till a little before they died, and some till the moment they dropped down, as in apoplexies and epilepsies is often the case. Such would be taken suddenly very sick, and would run to a bench or bulk, or any convenient place that offered itself, or to their own houses, if possible, as I mentioned before, and there sit down, grow faint, and die. This kind of dying was much the same as it was with those who die of common mortifications, who die swooning, and, as it were, go away in a dream. Such as died thus had very little notice of their being infected at all, till the gangrene was spread through their whole body. Nor could physicians themselves know certainly how it was with them, till they opened their breasts or other parts of their body, and saw the tokens. We had at this time a great many frightful stories told us of nurses and watchmen who looked after the dying people, and, that is to say, hired nurses who attended infected people, using them barbarously, starving them, smothering them, or by other wicked means hastening their end, that is to say, murdering of them. And watchmen being set to guard houses that were shut up when there has been but one person left, and perhaps that one lying sick, that they have broke in and murdered that body, and immediately thrown them out into the dead cart. And so they have gone scarce cold to the grave. I cannot say but that some such murders were committed, and I think two were sent to prison for it, but died before they could be tried. And I have heard that three others at several times were excused for murders of that kind, but I must say I believe nothing of its being so common a crime as some have since been pleased to say, nor did it seem to be so rational where the people were brought so low as not to be able to help themselves, for such seldom recovered, and there was no temptation to commit a murder, at least none equal to the fact, where they were sure persons would die in so short a time, and could not live. 
that there were a great many robberies and wicked practices committed even in this dreadful time, I do not deny. The power of avarice was so strong in some that they would run any hazard to steal and to plunder, and, particularly, in houses where all the families or inhabitants have been dead and carried out, they would break in at all hazards, and, without regard to the danger of infection, take even the clothes off the dead bodies, and the bedclothes from others where they lay dead. This, I suppose, must be the case of a family in Houndsditch, where a man and his daughter, the rest of the family being, as I suppose, carried away before by the dead cart, were found stark naked, one in one chamber, and one in another, lying dead on the floor, from whence, tis supposed, they were rolled off by the thieves, stolen and carried quite away. It is indeed to be observed that the women were, in all this calamity, the most rash, fearless, and desperate creatures, and, as there were vast numbers, that went about as nurses to tend those that were sick, they committed a great many petty thieveries in the houses where they were employed, and some of them were publicly whipped for it, when perhaps they ought rather to have been hanged, for examples, for numbers of houses were robbed on these occasions, till at length the parish officers were sent to recommend nurses to the sick, and always took an account whom it was they sent, so as that they might call them to account, if the house had been abused where they were placed. But these robberies extended chiefly to wearing clothes, linen, and what rings or money they could come at when the person died who was under their care, but not to a general plunder of the houses, and I could give you an account of one of these nurses, who, several years after, being on her deathbed, confessed with the utmost horror the robberies she had committed at the time of her being a nurse, and by which she had enriched herself to a great degree. But, as for murders, I do not find that there was ever any proof of the facts in the manner as it has been reported except as above. They did tell me, indeed, of a nurse in one place that laid a wet cloth upon the face of a dying patient whom she tended, and so put an end to his life, who was just expiring before, and another that smothered a young woman she was looking to when she was in a fainting fit, and would have come to herself some that killed them by giving them one thing, some another, and some starved them by giving them nothing at all. But these stories had two marks of suspicion that always attended them, which caused me always to slight them and to look on them as mere stories that people continually frighted one another with, one that wherever it was that we heard it, they always placed the scene at the farther end of the town, opposite or most remote from where you were to hear it. If you heard it in Whitechapel, it happened at St. Giles, or at Westminster, or Holborn, or that end of the town. If you heard of it at that end of the town, 
then it was done in Whitechapel, or the Minories, or about Cripplegate Parish. If you heard of it in the city, why, then it happened at Southwark. And if you heard of it in Southwark, then it was done in the city, and the like. In the next place, of what part soever you heard the story, the particulars were always the same, especially that of laying a wet double clout on a dying man's face, and that of smothering a young gentlewoman, so that it was apparent, at least to my judgment, that there was more of tale than of truth in those things. However, I cannot say but it had some effect upon the people, and, particularly, that, as I said before, they grew more cautious, whom they took into their houses, and whom they trusted their lives with, and had them always recommended, if they could, and, where they could not find such, for there were not very plenty, they applied to the parish officers. But here again the misery of that time lay upon the poor, who, being infected, had neither food or physic, neither physician or apothecary to assist them, or nurse to attend them. Many of those died calling for help, and even for sustenance, out at their windows in a most miserable and deplorable manner. But it must be added that, whenever the cases of such persons or families were represented to my Lord Mayor, they always were relieved. It is true, in some houses where the people were not very poor, yet where they had sent perhaps their wives and children away, and, if they had any servants, they had been dismissed. I say, it is true that to save the expenses, many such as these shut themselves in, and, not having help, died alone. A neighbor and acquaintance of mine, having some money owing to him from a shopkeeper in Whitecross Street or thereabouts, sent his apprentice, a youth about eighteen years of age, to endeavor to get the money. He came to the door, and, finding it shut, knocked pretty hard, and, as he thought, heard somebody answer within, but was not sure, so he waited, and, after some stay, knocked again, and then a third time, when he heard somebody coming downstairs. At length the man of the house came to the door. He had on his breeches or drawers, and a yellow flannel waistcoat, no stockings, a pair of slipped shoes, a white cap on his head, and, as the young man said, death in his face. When he opened the door, says he, "'What do you disturb me thus for?' The boy, though a little surprised, replied, "'I come from such a one, and my master sent me for the money which he says you know of.' "'Very well, child,' returns the living ghost." Call as you go by at Cripplegate Church, and bid them ring the bell. And with these words, shut the door again, and went up again, and died the same day, nay, perhaps the same hour. This the young man told me himself, and I have reason to believe it. This was while the plague was not come to a height. I think it was in June, towards the latter end of the month, it must be before the dead carts came about, and while they used the ceremony of ringing the bell for the dead, which was over for certain, in that parish, at least, before the month of July, 
for by the 25th of July there died 550 and upwards in a week, and then they could no more bury in form, rich or poor. I have mentioned above that notwithstanding this dreadful calamity, yet the numbers of thieves were abroad upon all occasions, where they had found any prey, and that these were generally women. It was one morning, about eleven o'clock, I had walked out to my brother's house in Coleman Street Parish, as I often did, to see that all was safe. My brother's house had a little court before it, and a brick wall and a gate in it, and within that several warehouses where his goods of several sorts lay. It happened that in one of those warehouses were several packs of women's high-crowned hats, which came out of the country, and were, as I suppose, for exportation. Whither, I know not. I was surprised that when I came near my brother's door, which was in a place they called Swan Alley, I met three or four women, with high-crowned hats on their heads, and as I remembered afterwards, one, if not more, had some hats likewise in their hands. But, as I did not see them come out at my brother's door, and not knowing that my brother had any such goods in his warehouse, I did not offer to say anything to them, but went across the way to shun meeting them, as was usual to do at that time, for fear of the plague. But when I came nearer to the gate, I met another woman, with more hats, come out of the gate. "'What business, mistress,' said I, "'have you had there?' "'There are more people there,' said she. "'I've had no more business there than they.' I was hasty to get to the gate then, and said no more to her, by which means she got away. But just as I came to the gate, I saw two more coming across the yard, to come out with hats also on their heads, and under their arms, at which I threw the gate too behind me, which, having a spring-lock, fastened itself.' and, turning to the woman, Forsooth, said I, what are you doing here? And seized upon the hats, and took them from them. One of them, who, I confess, did not look like a thief. Indeed, says she, we are wrong, but we were told that these were goods that had no owner. Be pleased to take them again, and look yonder, there are more such customers as we— she cried and looked pitifully. So I took the hats from her, and opened the gate, and bade them be gone, for I pitied the women indeed. But when I looked towards the warehouse, as she directed, there were six or seven more, all women, fitting themselves with hats as unconcerned and quiet as if they had been in a hatter's shop, buying for their money. I was surprised, not at the sight of so many thieves only, but at the circumstances I was in, being now to thrust myself in among so many people, who for some weeks had been so shy of myself, that if I met anybody in the street, I would cross the way from them. They were equally surprised, though on another account. They all told me they were neighbors, that they had heard any one might take them, that they were nobody's goods, and the like. I talked big to them at first, went back to the gate, and took out the key, 
so that they were all my prisoners, threatened to lock them all into the warehouse, and go and fetch my Lord Mayor's officers for them. They begged heartily, protested they found the gate open, and the warehouse door open, and that it had no doubt been broken open by some people who expected to find goods of greater value, which indeed was reasonable to believe, because the lock was broke, and a padlock that hung to the door on the outside also loose, and not abundance of the hats carried away. At length I considered that this was not a time to be cruel and rigorous, and besides that, it would necessarily oblige me to go much about, to have several people come to me, and I go to several whose circumstances of health I knew nothing of, and that even at this time the plague was so high as that there died four thousand a week, so that in showing my resentment, or even in seeking justice for my brother's goods, I might lose my own life. So I contented myself with taking the names and places where some of them lived, who were really inhabitants in the neighborhood, and threatening that my brother should call them to an account for it when he returned to his habitation. Then I talked a little upon another foot with them, and asked them how they could do such things as these in a time of such general calamity, and, as it were, in the face of God's most dreadful judgments, when the plague was at their very doors, and, it may be, in their very houses, and they did not know but that the dead cart might stop at their doors in a few hours to carry them to their graves. End of section 8「Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue all in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for 349 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.